You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Tuning in and listening again to another episode of Future Proof Workplace with Morag Barrett and myself. And uh, we're excited to uh, have another show. Today's show, as you probably know, um, Morag and I are, are uh, have done a lot of work with Marshall Goldsmith. And uh, Marshall did some videos with us on uh, Future Proof Workplace, uh, as well as highlighted us on the Thinkers 50 blog that he does regularly. Uh, Marshall has been somebody who uh, I have personally worked with for a long period of time, and he developed a coaching model for what he is uh, best known for, I believe. And the book that really launched him into success was What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And probably many of our listeners have um, heard of this book, right, Morag? Yes, indeed. It's one of my favorites. I reference it all the time. That and his latest one, Triggers, as well, which both are very powerful when I'm working with individuals and leaders in organizations. Yeah. And, and you know, so he, uh, I use that book as a reference. And so everybody I'm coaching, I always send them to one or two of those uh, or both of those books. And so it's because of that association with Marshall that we and uh, we're fortunate to run into a really spectacular international coach, Chris Coffey. And Chris has done, along with his partner, Frank Wagner, a phenomenal job of taking the concepts of what got you here won't get you there and turning them into a wonderful stakeholder-centered coaching program. And the heart of this program that makes it so different from anything else, which is why I used it throughout GE Worldwide, in fact, I won an award for it, and at HP, is that there are stakeholders engaged in it and there's a measurement process, which is very rare for mm-hmm. coaching initiatives. Right, Morag? Oh, gosh, yes. I, 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 it always surprises me when I'm working with an organization and they'll have worked with a coach for however long you want to do, a number of years, but there's been no measure of, well, what's the impact? Is it actually helping? So right. the ROI element of the stakeholder-centered coaching and the involvement of not just the participant, but others in the process, it's a powerful combination. It's hugely powerful. And so with that, I'm going to jump in to inter- introduce... Our guest, Chris Coffey, uh, again, internationally known leadership development expert. Uh, Marshall has endorsed Chris uh, all over the world as a phenomenal leader development expert and executive coach, as well as the leader of stakeholder-centered coaching, which I'm just going to jump right in and say thank you, Chris, for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me, Linda. I appreciate it. Well, Chris, you know, I, I remember many years back, we, we talked about this initiative, which you've just taken and run with. So tell us how you, what, what was the brainchild that, that got you behind this stakeholder-centered coaching initiative that you, you've spearheaded? 
Well, if I go back, you know, you've mentioned Marshall Goldsmith and, you know, we'll got you here and we'll get you there or whatever. I've known Marshall since 1980 when uh, I went to work at the Center for Leadership Studies in San Diego for Paul Hersey and Ken Blanchard teaching situational leadership. And Marshall was there. And so, you know, Marshall and I and Frank Wagner, we started for 20 years. Basically, we did stand up training. Around 2000, uh, uh, Agile and Technologies was splitting off from Hewlett Packard, which you mentioned before. And Marshall and I talked, and he said, uh, uh, you know, they got 24 high potentials they would like us to coach. And I said, interesting, coach, you know, how, whatever he said, that we'll make it up as we go. (laughs) And so it it really became, uh, and, and, and the kicker was, we get paid at the end and we get paid if they improve. And we said, wow, interesting. So uh, I took four assignments. Frank Wagner took four. And uh, we really started to develop the process as we were doing it. And then about a year later, somebody that I had worked with at Apple Computer had moved to Microsoft. And I had talked to him. And he called me and he said, we'd like to train some internal people in this process. And concurrently with that, uh, an organization called A4SL, which Marshall had crafted uh, with a guy named Brian Underhill and what have you, we were looking to train coaches in this methodology. So Frank Weidner and I really took Marshall's philosophy uh, right. and we created a process to teach people the process. So that's how that, and that was back in the early 2000s. And, you know, since then, you know, uh, we've done public certifications. And last week I was with a major financial organization in New York and we trained 20 internal people in the process. So right now worldwide, there's about 3000 coaches certified in the Marshall Goldsmith stakeholder centered coaching process of which there's about 600 in the United States. So uh, there's, I think the answer to your question, how it got going. That, that, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And, and Marshall allowed me to do a train the trainer in GE, which was really pretty cool too. So Chris, um, what makes this process and this training unique and cuts it above everything else? Well, I, I think I think uh, you and your colleague mentioned it. It's the active engagement of stakeholders and the measurement piece. The measurement piece is what we call a mini survey that goes out to the stakeholders two or three times over the course of a year. And it, and it says, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you a Joe committed to collaborate more effectively uh, six months ago uh, on a scale of minus three to plus three. Is he more effective at that skill? And so you're asking the people around you to evaluate you on one or two key leadership skills that you've selected at the beginning. You told people what you were going to work on. You asked them for some suggestions. You built an action plan based upon their suggestions. You share the action plan with the stakeholders. And uh, two or three times, they complete a five-minute mini-survey that answers the question, you know, is this individual more effective at what they picked? And that's really it. And the other unique part of this is it's not about time. It's not about time. It's not about local coaches. It's not about meeting face to face all the time, uh, which are, you know, know, standards that have been around in the coaching world for a long time. And I think we've shattered that. We've shattered that, uh, you know, Marshall, myself, Frank, yourself, Linda, you know, when you think about how many people you coach, I mean, they're not local. Right. They're not local, and you're not getting on a plane every week to go meet with them. 
it's yeah. it's uh, it's all about the improvement piece of it. And so the active engagement of stakeholders, getting their input, building a plan based on their suggestions, and then measuring it through a mini survey uh, are truly unique in the coaching world. And uh, and we and, and those of us where I recommend a coach into an organization, uh, we commit to work with the individual for a year. We don't get paid for a year. And we only get paid if there's improvement. So that's an interesting value proposition uh, that, that we commit to, anybody I recommend. Now, a coach in the, it, certified in this process does not have to get paid at the end. If they want to build an hourly fee, and they can do whatever they want. That's not a requirement. And I yeah. think that's what makes us unique. I, I, I do think, and I, and I know that you operate that way, which I think is really, really impressive. Um, What's been the success rate for your 3,000 coaches around the world? I'm sure you measured this. Well, you know, quite frankly, I mean, there's a lot of studies. Uh, you know, there's no criteria. You know, ICF tries to say, you know, you get credits with this or that, but there's no real criteria to be a coach. Right. And I don't really know the answer to that question. You know, I could get a call from somebody and say, uh, uh, you know, do you have any coaches in Detroit, which is an actual call I got. And, and I said, well, I'm sure we do. And on our website, uh, you can go on and you can plug in Detroit and Michigan and you can see who's local there and you can engage them. Uh, would, is there anybody you'd recommend? Well, you know, hundreds of people have been in workshops that I do. I would be remiss in saying I can recommend this person because I don't know the quality of their work. I know they've been through a two-day workshop. So uh, what we're really starting to do, and on my website, I mean, there's a lot of measurement pieces for me personally. Now, I also know you mentioned GE and your work with Marshall there. I mean, we have studies out where, you know, there's a thousand managers that have made, you know, Fortune 50 company that were measured. Uh, did they improve? Uh, there's this eight, eight company study, all Fortune 100 companies where yeah. we documented all of this. So there's a lot of that stuff out there. Uh, I think any coach is willing to trust what they bring to an engagement and they understand the process well enough. Uh, give them a shot, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, give them a shot. Chris, it sounds deceptively simple. Um, and yet I know there is obviously a little bit more magic that goes on behind the scenes. But for our listeners who may be just saying, well, stakeholder. So who do I invite? Who are the stakeholders, firstly, that have a part to play in this process? Well, it's a great question. Well, uh, let me comment on you said it's, you know, uh, it, it's very simple. It is very simple. It is not easy. Mm, and that's there's a it. difference <laughs> simple and easy. You know, uh, getting in shape is simple. Losing weight is simple. We all know how to do it. The question is, do you have the discipline to follow through and put a plan together and follow it? That's the hard part. And again, you know, when people say to me, what do you do? I say, I help successful people have a positive change in behavior that's sustainable and that's recognized and acknowledged by others. Now, there's a lot in there. Successful people. We're not here to save somebody that's on a slippery banana peel out the door for performance reasons. Mm -hmm. It's behavior. It's behavior. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it is, it is simple. Uh, 
it's not easy for people, successful people, to change habits. We're all creatures of habit. Uh, you're used to getting results a certain way. And through 360s and performance appraisals, you can find out people see you as a bully. You know, they see you as a bully. They see you, see you as narcissistic, greedy, self-centered, uh, only care about yourself. Well, what are the behaviors you're doing that cause that? What okay. is, what and, and so that's, uh, that's part of, what was your second part of your question? Well, my question actually goes on to that is what makes for an ideal candidate? Because you talked there about not using it as the last resort before somebody is shown the door. And so how do you know if you should be asking your um, business to invest in stakeholder-centered coaching or whether you are a good candidate for this? Well, I would say, and I'll speak for myself, and when I teach other coaches, I say don't take a bad engagement. Right. <laughs> engagement. But I mean, hindsight's good. How do I know before I walk in that, um, so you're going to coach me, how would you know that uh, you and I are actually going to have a successful engagement, especially if you're waiting a year for the paycheck to come through as a result of that? We don't want to wait 12 months and go, oh, dear, Morag was not a good candidate after all. <laughs> well, I would say anybody who's waited a year to pull the plug on an engagement and then finds out the person's not doing it has been a fool. Yeah. Uh -huh. Great. Uh, you know, I know uh, in the interview process for me, I lay out for people. Here's the deal. I, I have a reputation for being able to deal with difficult people. And maybe it's the New York City kid and me and, and what have you. But I, I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that might be helpful. I got a call from, you know, a Fortune 20 company to work with somebody that reported directly to the CEO. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, uh, when they called me, uh, they said, we'd like you to interview uh, with this person. We're going to put several people in front of them. And uh, also that, uh, you know, he's had four coaches in the last six years. And quite frankly, we've seen no change. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, what were you hoping he... I could do? Yeah, exactly. They, they said, you know, you have a reputation for being able to deal with some, you know, difficult people. And I said, well, thank you. I said, but I have no delusion that I can get a successful individual to do anything if that successful individual doesn't want to do it or sees it as a waste of time. It's that so, proverbial leading the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Exactly. And, and, and I'll segue for a second. My sixth engagement back in 2001, I refused the money. I refused the money because there was no improvement. I mean, it was a point zero zero one or something. I said, I won't take the money. And that was the best looking experience for me because I thought after five successful engagements, you know, just the, the, the force of my will would get this person to finish. And, you know, it was my ego that got in the way of thinking that I an adult to do something when an adult doesn't want to do it. So I tell people, so what I will say to somebody is, look, I'll take anybody to start. But if I get a whiff, and I tell people this, if I get a whiff a month from now, you're blowing smoke up my nose and you have no interest in doing this, then I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Uh, you know, no bill. But I'm not going to run around and chase you for a year. I can help you fly if you want to fly. You know, and I tell people, you know, these are the skills that I bring to a coaching engagement. I've taught sit lead, excellent manager, DNA of teams. I teach argumentation, conflict management, decision making. These are all things that I bring to an engagement. And so each coach brings whatever their subject matter expertise is. But I have no delusion that I can get an adult to do something if they don't want to do it. So back to my little story. 
so I fly to this company. I go in, and, and I always send out a little email ahead of time to introduce myself before I interview. And I give them a couple of links to my webpage to describe the process and the results people get and whatever. And I say to people, you know, if you invest 20 minutes to peruse through these, you'll have better questions for me when we finally meet and you interview me. So I fly, fly to the client and I go in. The person who's interviewing me comes out from behind his desk and he says, All right, I got 20 minutes. Tell me what you do. And I said, All right, did you get a chance to, uh, to look through the email? No, I'm in the middle of a reorg. Just tell me what you do. So I said, Well, okay. I said, You're interviewing coaches. I said, If you pick me, uh, I'll interview a dozen people around you uh, that uh, you give me a list and I'll ask them what do they see as your strengths, areas you can improve, what do you think the most important thing is, and uh, what suggestions would you give this individual? I'll compile it all. Uh, from that, you'll pick a couple things to work on, like delegate, collaborate, listen, hold people accountable, take appropriate, whatever it may be. You'll pick a couple. And then you'll engage stakeholders. Who are the people who will know if you got better, that you're interdependent with and you interact with, that will know if you're collaborating more effectively. And then over the course of it, we'll put a plan together. You'll share the plan with people. And over the course of the year, you'll do a couple of mini surveys to take five minutes. And then we'll ask people if you're more effective at the couple of things you picked. And I said, at the end of the year, if you've improved, I get paid. Mm-hmm. Says, what? I said, what did I say you didn't understand? Mm-hmm. What do you mean you get paid? And I said, well, uh, you know, I'm the one taking the risk here. I said, uh, I get paid at the end and only if there's improvement. So uh, he said, well, that's pretty ballsy. <laughs> and I said, well, you're interviewing me and I'm interviewing you. I said, I have no interest in change. Now, I, remember, I had inside information going into this, that this individual had had four coaches in six years and there was no change. So anyway, he cancels his next meeting. He's, he said, we have never done anything like that here. I said, I understand. You know, I said, uh, you know, so uh, we get going. So anyway, he cancels his next meeting. We spent an hour and 15 minutes together. He was fascinated by the approach. Mm-hmm. Later, I'm in New York City walking to my apartment. The phone rings. It's HR. First words out of the person's mouth is, he did not want to touch you with a stick. <laughs> just picked his next best friend that he can complain to and whine to, but he knew that you would have walked. You know, because he didn't want to do this. I mean, somebody who's had four coaches in six years and nobody's seen any change. Why would you, why would a coach think that they're going to get this person to do something? So, you know, uh, don't take a bad engagement. Don't. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want, when I teach coaches to do this process, whether it's an internal or external coach, don't take a bad engagement. You know, don't get delusional that you can get an adult to do something if that adult doesn't want to do it. You know, though, I want to just go back a little bit to what, what is, that's a great story, Chris, and I, I really appreciate it. When have you pulled the plug and, uh, you know, how soon into an engagement, if you see it's, it's not going well, do you do that? And what have been the, the what's been the aftermath of some of that? Do you- well, I've only, I, I have threatened to pull the plug three times, mm-hmm. about six weeks into it. None of which that I have to pull the plug. 
I personally like a little bit of an issue at the beginning where somebody doesn't do something that they said they were going to do for us to have a little uh, time to have a meeting. So another particular story, somebody I started an engagement with and about six weeks into it, you know, he was supposed to set up who I'm supposed to interview. And, and it's what, you know, week after week. No, I haven't gotten to it. Haven't had time, blah, blah, blah. So about six weeks into it again, you know, a 30 minute call once a week. And it's, ah, I haven't got to, I haven't got. So I said to him, you know, it sounds to me like this is not a good time that, you know, this isn't something that you, you know, really, you know, want to do. And he said, ah, you know, I do, but it's not a good time. So I said, okay. And then I said to him, you know, no problem, no harm, no fault. We'll just tell HR. He said, I'll come back to it later and this and that. And I said, okay, fine. And then I said, you know, one thing I want to thank you for though, I said, if you remember when we first interviewed, you asked me what I was working on to improve. You know, if I'm teaching other people to do, what am I working on? Mm-hmm. I said, what a great question. I said, you know, one of the things I'm working on myself personally is to trust my gut as much as my intellect. Instead of, you know, rationalizing and what have you, you know, if your gut's telling you something isn't right, trust it, explore it a little bit more. And I said, you know, when I first interviewed you, when you interviewed me, my instincts told me that you really didn't. And three words I love to use to describe what it takes to do this process. It takes courage. It takes discipline. And it takes some humility. So I said to this senior executive, my instinct was, in you, and I told you, that I was working on trusting my instinct. What I want to thank you for is reconfirming that. Because in the interview, my instinct was telling me you really weren't up to doing this and you didn't want to do it in spite of what you were telling me. And I didn't trust my instinct. So now he starts to backpedal. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I said, you know, we'll, we'll give it a sh-. I said, if I, tr- if I don't, I'm not trusting my instinct again. I said, here's what I'll do. Let's schedule a call for a week from today. If you've done the three things I've asked you to do. I'll consider three days go by. His admin calls me. He says, do you have 10 minutes? He's driving me crazy. (laughs) Oh, dear. He says, let me tell you what I've done. I got the email out. I've done this. I've done that. And uh, I said, let's go to work. Let's go to work. I never had another problem. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, it's, it's, now it takes time to get there. You know, I wish I knew this 20 years ago when I started. What I've learned is, you know, and I like to say to an executive, I want to make this process as easy as possible on one of the two of us. And it's not you. You know, I, you say that with a little with a little smile. You know. So Chris, so. these are great stories as I'm listening to it. And uh, it takes courage, I think, to be an, certainly to be an effective coach because you have to be a truth speaker in the way that you called that leader on the, I don't believe your heart's in it. You're, I've got to listen to my gut. Let's stop now. But being able to do it in a way that either doesn't inflame them in righteous indignation or shuts them down. So as you think about the other side of the equation, we've talked a bit about what makes for a good candidate to participate as a coachee in the stakeholder-centered coaching process. What makes for a good coach? Well, what makes for a good coach? 
I think, you know, there's some coaching organizations out there that say, you know, there's a big difference between coaching and consulting. And I remember I was doing a program in Singapore and I said a couple of things and somebody says, wait a minute, are you telling me that you provide suggestions? Now, it's not often I get stumped with a question that I haven't heard before. And this is probably about five, five, five to seven years ago when I heard this. And I said, yeah, I provide suggestions. They said, oh, no, that's coaches never provide suggestions. That would be consulting. I said, well, I, they said, well, you know, International Coach Federation says all you do is, is ask questions. You make them discover it themselves. Mm, the Socratic method mm, has its place. Well, drives me nuts. Well, it is the Socratic <laughs> method, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm a philosophy major, and I understand that. But I'm not Carl Rogers either. I mean, this is not therapy where we're trying. I mean, there's yeah. things I know about leadership is like you know, and 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 Linda knows, and and, and whatever, and, and and you just okay. Here's my suggestion. Yes, uh, it, it, it's. I said I would get thrown out of my room, out of the room with somebody, if by the top, third time I says, "Well, what are your what do thoughts you think? on that?" <laughs> what, am I, what are you here for? Yes, you know. It, and now again, I wrote a book called "The New IQ," meaning innovative questions. I am all about the Socratic approach. Yeah. I won't pick somebody's goal for them. I'll make them struggle with that, but. I'm not going to make some senior executive craft the email that goes out to invite stakeholders because it won't get done. And even if they did it, it wouldn't have in there what I know needs to be in there. So we have templates and all those kind of things to make it as simple and as easy as possible for the mundane stuff to get done. So uh, a good coach a good coach, I think, has to bring what's the subject matter expertise they bring to it. Okay. And like I said before, I teach argumentation, I teach debate, I teach conflict management, I teach decision making, situational. These are all things for 35 years that I've taught and I know. And I find the whole skill of argumentation, and I tell executives, you know, it's not how to win the argument, it's how to come to the best decision. What's the claim somebody's making? What's the evidence they're using? How are they connecting the dots? How do you do that and ask good questions around that to help facilitate with their decision making? So here's so what I'm It's hearing. a blend. Uh, you know, it's, it's, blend. It's, you know yeah. what makes a good basketball player? What makes a, a, a great golfer? I mean, you can play a great. Uh-uh. So, I mean, again, I think we've just lost Chris. I think uh, he may have got cut off. Hopefully he can dial back in. in. Yeah. But Linda, as you're listening, it's fascinating um, thinking about the similarities and differences between stakeholder-centered coaching and what is traditionally described um, or expected in a coaching engagement. I, it, it's exciting. Uh, the, the overt, it's an ask and a tell. It's not just pulling uh, information from uh, the participant. It's also sharing expertise of the coach because otherwise, why are you working together? That's what are your thoughts? And what absolutely drives me crazy, and I mean, as you know, I've been in many, many Fortune 50 companies where, you know, I was in charge of uh, the coaching and done a lot of coaching for their senior executives. And where we had coaches that were uh, psychologically based and wanted to take 
of individuals back to their childhood and exercise, psychological constructs and all of that. It was really destructive, quite frankly. And those were the ones that we never saw any real behavioral change in. And so for me, I, you know, obviously, as you know, Morag, I endorse this process because I've used this process extensively. And I think it is practical. And to give people ideas from your experience is part of what you're paying them for. But combining that art of asking the right question and knowing what question is most germane to where they are in their behavioral change process. Well, let's go back to basics because we've obviously got um, thousands of people listening to this call, given the emails and messages that we get after each um, episode. So when you think about coaching, who do you see coaching as being appropriate for? Because I know I have an opinion on this, but I'd love to hear yours first and then I can share my point of view. Yeah. Oh, but I want to hear yours first. Oh, well, I know I have to. Okay. Well, I'll happily share. Can you hear me? Yes, I think I'm back and I'm on my cell phone now. Oh, wow. See, modern technology, welcome back. So Linda and I were just talking and uh, about what we've learned from you. And I have a question for you to be thinking about, Chris, as I just close out my conversation with Linda. So you've talked a little bit about the similarities and differences of traditional coaching with the stakeholder-centered approach. I would love for you to list for us the three, it is or it is not. How would you compare and contrast the two? But Linda, I was just saying our audience are listening to this conversation of coaching. And my experience experiences, it's often misperceived as being only for those who are in the senior echelons. And so my message to our audience today is actually coaching and coaches come at all investment levels. So whether you are a mid-level manager, um, maybe you are in the VP level or even in the C-suite, consider executive coaching as another way of helping you to take your strengths from good to great and and reach that next leadership level. But would you concur, Linda, or would you disagree? Coaching for all or coaching for some? Okay, so I'm going to give you three succinct uh, answers to that question. And I know you have a perspective, Chris. One, I think all managers need to learn how to coach as opposed to how to give performance feedback. That's one. Mm -hmm. And that becomes part of, we teach performance feedback like crazy in all leadership development programs, manager on up. And we really ought to be teaching them how to coach, how to ask good questions, how to give uh, constructive ideas to help people move forward faster. Mm -hmm. That's one. Yes. The second one is, and I know, Chris, you've employed a lot of this, and I have too, which is the whole notion of peer coaching. Mm-hmm. So the cultural transformation for organizations to implement peer coaching because you can't have a personal one-on-one coach. You can't afford it for absolutely everybody. So you have to be success. You have to be uh, selective on how you're going to use that. But you can teach people that it's okay to give suggestions to help each other get better at what we're trying to do individually and collectively. And I think those are huge pieces. I've talked a lot about this. I've done a lot of this worldwide. Chris, I I know you have too, and I'd be interested in your perspective on that. But for me, it's teaching managers how to coach. It's creating the the culture where it's okay to ask questions and to learn and experiment. And it's putting in place the knowledge that your colleagues are people 
who literally can be peer coaches and should be peer coaches to each other to help you. I so. love it. So, Chris, before we get you in on that, just just summarize for us the th- three key differences stakeholder-centered coaching is or is not compared to traditional coaching. And then let's talk about is it suitable for everybody or is it suitable for a few? So go where you wish, Chris. <laughs> well, okay. I, I think, um, uh, first of all, is it suitable for everybody? The answer to that is yes. Because just to build off of what Linda said, all ma- you know, one of the key roles of managers is to develop the talent that works for them. I mean, that's just a given. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm working with, and I'll use the company's name, Phillips 66. They split off from ConocoPhillips. One of the things managers now are starting to be evaluated on is, you know, building bench strength. I mean, who are the people underneath you that you're developing and, and, you know, what gets rewarded gets done. So, and I can, I'll share some of the work that I'm doing there where it, it, there is a one day manager as coach or leader as coach to teach, teach them right? how to do. Yeah. Yeah. We teach people how to do this. So right. if yeah. Phillips, it's line managers doing it, not, leadership mm-hmm. development or OD. It's, it's it. up to them, you know, uh, to do it. Now I've been engaged. I'm on the phone monthly with each one of, you know, I got two general managers I'm working with their direct reports and then their direct reports I'm guiding as they work with their direct reports. Right. So, uh, so that's important now to the peer coaching. So, so I, I think the uniqueness of this, back again to what I said, is the active engagement of stakeholders. Yeah. They truly do become the coaches. So if you want to say, am I supporter of peer coaching, it's, it's, it's who are the stakeholders and, peer co- and, 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 and their responsibility in this process. And, and in this process, the responsibility, and I tell the the, the stakeholders, this is to let go of the past and only judge this person's improvement from this day forward on a couple of things they pick to work on. Okay. Don't be a critic, cynic, or a judge. Be supportive of the process and be honest in your evaluations and be willing to give feedback and suggestions on an ongoing basis. Now, what I will say is most people are not particularly good at giving good suggestions. And that comes from looking at what people have said at the beginning. You know, people can say, look, treat me with respect. Well, that's not a behavior. That's a result of something. What do you need to do more of, less of, start doing, stop doing, in order for people to see you treating them with respect? So maybe listening to different Mm. points of view before giving your opinion, building off of somebody else's idea before giving your own, defer to somebody else's point of view periodically, keep your mouth shut. If you know, give somebody else a moment in the sun, you know, what is it that you need to do? And when I look at a lot of traditional action plans for people, it's just one goal or objective after another. I'm going to collaborate better. Okay, what are you going to do? All I'm going to treat people with respect. Well, that that's another goal. Mm-hmm. That's you know. I, so the whole idea, yes, uh, but most people have not really been trained to give good suggestions, feedback. Yes, you know. I think you were a blowhard in the meeting, and you really didn't listen to anybody. Well, that's feedback. My question is, how good of a suggestion? What, what suggestion would you give me to change it? And I tell coaches when we do training, you know, your skill of being able to take the suggestions of others 
and really craft a good behavioral action plan is a key component to be a good coach. Now, your other question was, you know, is everybody suited for this? We're big believers in, you know, Linda did it at GE. There were internal coaches. There were internal coaches, you know, in, in, in addition to just line managers, how does OD and HR get involved in this? You know, I just trained last week in Newark, New Jersey, you know, 18 new coaches for Prudential Financial. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, it's their job to take people. So I think companies need to start to think about how do we have a blended approach? When do we use an external coach? When can we use an internal coach? Uh, you know, but to, to your question, I mean, I think everybody in the company, you know, uh, even first line supervisors, how do you take a look at an individual contributor and say, you know, what's something you want to get better at? You know, eh, you know, I need to speak up more in meetings. Okay. You know, what about talking, creating a goal of, Presenting my point of view more persuasively. Hmm. Who are a half a dozen people around you that'll know if you're doing that? Who do you sit in the meetings with? Who do you go? Okay, here's Joe, Jack, Barry, Jim. Okay. How about sending him an email and telling him this is a goal you picked, asking them for some suggestions and building a plan? Yeah. First line supervisor can start to do the job that I do and Marshall does and Linda does and you know you do and Frank Wagner does. Facilitate the process. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, everybody deserves to be given a chance to reach their potential. Yep. Agreed. So, you know, having somebody that, you know, sets expectations and then also provides the resources you need to do it. Now, I believe, unfortunately, what corporate America has done for the 30 plus years I've been doing this, their answer has been historically, well, let's bring in Joe Blow to do a, a program. And so lots of money gets spent on doing programs. Mm -hmm. And the measurement becomes, well, we put 265 people through uh, this yes. diversity training or you know, critical conversation workshop or situational leadership, and nothing gets done on the back end to say, does anybody use this? Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and so I think that's what we've gravitated to. How do you measure the difference? If you're going to invest in a program and teach people some skills, how do you measure whether anybody's using it and do people see it and recognize it and acknowledge it? Well, that's the whole, that's what I think stakeholders does. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That's the whole key. And that's, that's why it is so powerful. And it's why it's taken on, you know, worldwide, people want to use it. You know, Chris, uh, we're, we're going to be coming up to the end of the show very, very quickly. But can you give me a quick uh, discussion of your team building uh, without time wasting? Because I think this is another application that I've used, and I know you've used beautifully with a uh, senior leadership team. So let's talk about that. And then give us the last uh, you know, three messages that um, that you um, think are important for people to know about this process. So 
tell us about team building okay. with that. Okay. And, and what I'd like to say is, you know, anybody who's ultimately listening to this, if, you know, anything that I've talked about, if they want to know more, I can send them the article about team building without time wasting. It's like three pages, uh, the process, results people get, and all of that. So all they'd have to do is contact me and uh, let me know, you know, what out of this you know, our conversation resonates with them and I'll send them some information. I'm not going to give a, you know, big sales pitch or whatever, you know, right. I like Marshall, uh, you know, we give away what we do and we're all at that age where the more we can give away, the better. <laughs> so, so that it stays alive. Well, so team building without time wasting, you know, uh, and this is all laid out in a very short article written by Marshall Goldsmith and Howard Morgan, another one of our colleagues, Linda. And, um, it really starts out, you know, let's say you're working with Joe Blow and he's got his direct reports. Or this could be an intact team, you know, that has dotted line to each other or whatever. But it's a, it's a, the, so the first question you ask, is this a team which has a common goal of working together? And you'd be amazed at how often it's not really a team. They may all report to Linda Sharkey, but, you know, they, they don't see themselves as a team. So the first thing you have to say is, are we a team with a common purpose to get something accomplished, you know, like a basketball team or a baseball team or whatever it may be. Okay. Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, one of the questions that gets asked then, and this is not open conversation. I hand out a post-it. So, you know, just the boss may say, yeah, because you can get into group think too easily. Okay. So you ask people on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, I can't imagine working any better together than we already do to one. It's a, we're abysmal and uh, it's amazing. We even have a job. Where would you rate this team in terms of that? Now, historically that's come up at about a 5.8 or 5.9. Yep. Then I asked the question, how well would you have to be performing to be considered a high-performing team by key people in the organization or by yourself? Uh, we got to be a, a nine. Okay, now you have your very scientific gap analysis. Then I would hand out, and this is all up. Yeah, I mean, there it is. Yeah, Instead of bringing in McKinsey to figure that out, you just ask the people, <laughs> where are we? Where do we need to be? You know? At least <laughs> You know, I, you know, it, 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 you know, they get a sense of what it is. On my webpage, there's a list of the most worked on leadership skills. Treat people with respect, build trust, listen, delegate, stand up for what, you know, there's a whole list of them. I hand this out then, and I say, I want you all to circle four things out of these 20. And if each of you in this room committed to improve, would, would, would close that gap from 5.8 to 9. And put it on the post-it. So again, no group thing. And then on a flip chart, you do it. And then you get the most work done. And you say, narrow it to two, narrow it. And you build, you come down to one specific thing. If they all committed to do it, would get us, would help close that gap. You know, it could be collaborate effectively with each other. It could be uh, if you have an issue with somebody before you go around them, you go to them directly. Whatever it may be, you let them come up with one thing they all commit to improve. Then we do the feed forward exercise. Everybody gets on their feet, gives each other suggestions on how they could do it. Yeah. Then I segue into that. Now they have the beginning of an action plan, and then they segue into 
pick one thing that you personally would like to improve. You know, somebody may say, you know, I need to, I need to hold people accountable. You know, uh, you know, I need to be more assertive. I need to take appropriate risks. So each person in the room picks one personal goal. They do feed forward again. They get suggestions from everybody in the room. And so in a half a day, they have two goals. One that everybody has with an action plan or the beginning of one anyway, and then a personal goal. Now, when I've done this, the company usually engages me to work with the whole team. And so what I do is schedule, you know, a monthly call or whatever with each person. And I really take them through the process. Now, the key is all eight people in that room are stakeholders to each other. Right. And what I love to say to them is, look, you have the test ahead of time. You know that these eight people in this room are going to rate you on a scale of minus three to plus three on how effective you are at the team goal and your personal goal. And it's fascinating. I had one president of a division call me a couple months into this and said, it's amazing how much better everybody's behaving toward each other. They're more polite. And, and he said, but I'm concerned. And I said, about what? He said, well, I think they're only doing it because they know that four months from now, they're going to evaluate each other on these two behaviors. And my response was, so what? Yeah. So what? I, I, you know, I'm not trying to make them fishing buddies or golf buddies. Some of them don't even like each other. Right. But so what? They have to work together. And if they're working together better because they know the people are going to rate them. Everybody has a copy of everybody's little action plan yeah. in terms of what they're going to do. So if somebody has down there, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look to look for what I agree with before what I disagree with. Yeah. And if I know that that's something you said, Linda, yeah. and I'm in a meeting with you, when I walk out that room, I can say, Linda, nice job. I know one of the things you're really working on is building off what you agree with before what you disagree with. Nice yeah, job. That concept, Chris. And unfortunately we are coming to the end of the show, but that is a beautiful thing. And you know what I love about it so much is it's really constructive and positive. It's not negative and it's really yep. reinforcing people's behavior. So really, um, how do people get a hold of you? Because I think that this is a whole different mindset about how you help people be the best they can be. So how do they get a hold of you? How do they get stakeholder centered coaching in their organization and team building without time wasting? Well, I think, you know, the, the easiest way would be to just contact me. My phone number is 310-650-2438 or better yet, even go to my webpage and peruse through there. Uh, it's uh, ChristopherCoffee.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. C-O-F-F-E-Y dot com. Yeah, very simple. And uh, just send me an email. And, you know, if, if you're listening to this and something resonates with you, just let me know what it is. I'll send you a couple of links back. And if you want to talk, we'll talk. That's great, Chris. Thank you so much, as always. It's a pleasure talking with you. And thank you for all your friendship. Uh, I'm grateful for it for over the years. And Morag, last word? No, just coaching matters. And it's not yeah. just for the senior levels. We can all be better coaches and be better by being coached. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. 
To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.